Hey, Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm about to interview Karina Ramirez, who is going to share her story of how she got started in clinical research. She's now in regulatory affairs, and she started out as a medical assistant. So I hope you enjoy this episode and find some inspiration there. In the meantime, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva has Site Vault. It's absolutely free for sites to use. Over 450 sponsors are already using Viva and already paying for it. So Viva understands that to win this game in the long run, they got to get sites to use the product. So it's free. They're never planning on charging sites. And it's e-regulatory. It's called Site Vault. It makes it really easy to share passively documents, regulatory documents with monitors. Like I said, over 450 sponsors already use Viva. So check it out. Link in the show notes, sites.viva.com. Again, the website is sites.viva.com. It is a must use. We're getting digitized now. Uh, It's 2023. To add to the benefits, when sites sign up to use Viva Site Vault for free, they get added to a list that sponsors can check out. And it shows all the sites using Viva. So it's an added benefit. You may even get more studies out of it. Again, thank you, Viva, very much for the support. Sites.viva.com. Enjoy the show. All right, Guru Nation, this is going to be a great interview, a great episode. I already can feel it because this Karina Ramirez, she's only been in the industry 14 months. She's somebody that I discovered, um, I think it was on my YouTube. um, She left a comment on one of the videos about how she went from medical assistant to regulatory affairs in 14 months, guys and gals. Like, not only... Like, not only is it theoretically possible for an MA to get into research or a CNA and move quickly career-wise in the industry, but here we have somebody who's done it. And I actually don't think it should be that uncommon. It might be uncommon because MAs typically don't think about research, but we're going to learn all the ins and outs from Karina, what was going on through her head how she did all that she did. Was it intentional? Was it an accident? Was it a combination? But thank you so much, Karina Ramirez, for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, so your story is pretty cool. Like, I mean, when you were an MA, did you ever think oh, I'm going to do research, clinical research? No, I actually, because I already had my associates in business administration. Uh, I earned my associates back in 2011, um, but I had two more children. I have three children, but I already had my firstborn, and then I had two more children after that. So I was just basically a stay-at-home mom at that point, because also the economy had really took a you know, crap at that time. So I couldn't find a job. So I just stayed at home. Um, Finally, when my youngest was old enough to go to school uh, full time, I took the opportunity and decided like, oh, I might as well go to medical assistant because that seemed like the most feasible. Everybody in my family is a nurse anyways. My mother was a nurse for 12 years. My older sister was a nurse for about eight years. So it was kind of, you know, it kind of runs in the family. So I ended up taking medical assistant. I didn't really want to be a nurse. I already knew that, but I kind of wanted to get my foot in the door for um, into healthcare. Um, I was also searching for my bachelor's. So now I have my bachelor's in healthcare management. I earned it in August. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh man, that's been a, a crazy journey also. Um, so as I started working at medical assistant, um, I started off in women's health. Um, I did my internship there. Um, I got officially hired uh, January, uh, February 3rd, started off in women's health. And uh, COVID happened about six weeks later. Then they had me do, you know, a front desk uh, screening for people with symptoms. Um, the, they had RNs working at the clinic, doing their clinicals, working at the COVID clinic their session had finished. So they needed somebody to replace. So uh, my supervisor came to me like, hey, do you want to work in the COVID clinic? And I was like, yeah, because they paid. Um, they also paid. Um, what was that pay that did they give you extra pay for working in the hazardous, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, Time yeah, and a half or something, something like that. 
yeah, hazard pay. That's, that's what hazard it's pay. Yes, they gave you hazard pay. So I got paid uh, about a dollar and a half more than what I was. So I did that for a good five months. And then a lot of changes started happening with COVID. It went from uh, COVID testing to giving vaccines. So I was also doing that. And then... Um, no research yeah. yet. No research. Not yet. That. Not yet. It's it's not that far. I actually didn't get into research until a year after, but I, 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 I'm getting to the point as quick as I can. Um, so after all that happened, you know, they were talking about closing down the clinic or it wasn't, you know, COVID had already calmed down a little bit at that point. So they were getting a new physician. They needed somebody to take over minor procedures. Now, this is a very important part of me getting into research. So I got into uh, minor procedures. Uh, they were doing a study called um, anchor study. So it's basically people living with HIV who may be at risk for uh, developing um, anal cancer. Uh, different from uh, colon cancer. A lot of people want to you know, associate the two as the same, but they're not. Um, so I was doing the procedures for that, but I didn't know it was for a specific study. So every time we had a patient come in, the people who were participating in the study, we had the research, you know, it was a very small team. It was a team of the two people. Um, we would have people come up with a computer saying, oh, we're going to randomize. So I would start asking questions like, hey, like, what do you do with this patient? Like, why do we have to get certain information? Um, why is this significant? Um, why do I have to take these little pieces of tissue and have to, you know, um, label them the way they do? So I just started asking a lot of questions. And, um, and then I kind of where I was at, I was kind of overwhelmed with the procedures, because I felt like I was, I was just burnt out at that time. So I had actually resigned from that position. And I started at another job where I thought was going to be better, but I, it was like so much worse. I did, I hated it. And wait, wait. They, so you were doing research at this clinic? Not, not yet. Not yet. It was okay. Right after this. So I was doing I minor see. procedures for a research study, but I wasn't part of research yet. You weren't part of research. You were just collecting like samples. Yes. And you kind of, that was when you first started hearing about the concept of research, but you still weren't sure yes. what that was. No one told you what it was. They just had you, they, Karina, go collect that sample. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I didn't even know I was, you know, doing this for a research study. Mm -hmm. So I had left. And then, um, and then while I was looking for another job, I had other coworkers who, you know, I called, they're considered them my friends. So they were like, hey, they have a research position that they just opened, you know, we think you should apply. And I'm like, oh, at first I was like, nah, because I don't think I want to draw blood. You know, I'm always getting scared, especially because it's a, you know, a place where they specialize in HIV. Some of these patients aren't treated. So, you know, the, the risk of getting, um, you know, getting that as well was high. So I was like, I was a little bit hesitant. So finally, they got on my butt, they were like, hey, man, like, you need to apply. And then one of my coworkers who he was in the research, he was like, you know, we really wish you would apply, we think you'd be a good candidate. So I ended up applying, I did the interview. Uh, the manager liked me, uh, I answered all the questions that they had for me because of the questions I had asked, you know, while I was doing the procedures. Um, so I started off there, but in this, so I finally got into research, they hired me. And this is where a lot of things kind of go crazy. So three months down the line, uh, I was only doing clinicals at this part at this point, uh, three months down the line, my manager had got an opportunity with Cineos. So he resigned his position and um, he was already kind of grooming me because I was already going for my bachelor's and kind of teaching me um, everything about research. And that's when I started watching your videos too, because even though I could only ask so many questions. So I watched your, your webinar, that four hour video, uh, probably took me like three days to watch it. And I took, I have my notebook right here to watch it. And some of your other, um, uh, videos too, like with regulatory, because he was having me maintain those files as well. So as a, being a small clinic, I was coordinating the study visits. I was emailing with the uh, medical monitor, uh, the CRA. Wow. But and, he and taught you this, like he taught you the basics, right? Like, yeah. Or he just saw you as a MA with potential because you were also in the process of getting your bachelor's degree. So he really like introduced this idea of like, hey, you could be a clinical research coordinator to you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he's a really good guy. Cause I told him what my goals are. Like I eventually want to be in this position. And he was just like, I think he kind of took me under his wing mm-hmm. and he saw that I was also good at problem solving. Like when I had my own studies, there was five studies we were doing. So I was assigned to two of them. The other three, the other guy did because he knew more about it than I did. And it, the anchor study was more intense. Um, so there was two other studies, but we were cross-trained to know, you know, everything. So um, he based, my manager basically did all the business aspect of it, but I was doing mostly clinical, but after he put his resignation, he was kind of like, um, kind of showing me what he does on his part. So, um, he, even after he had left, I was communicating back and forth with him. And also it helped, like, if you communicate with the CRA, like, Hey, like, I don't know how to, what to do in this area. You gotta, you gotta ask questions. You gotta communicate with these people. That's the main, main thing with in any industry that you're in this communication, um so I asked the questions I asked for directions you know they helped me get through what I needed to get through um if I didn't know what a form was for you know I would ask like hey what it was a 1572 or you know uh why do we have to submit this application to the IRB um we learned all the ins and outs of coordinator life and I'm guessing so when you apply to this job though you didn't know it was gonna be clinical research or you did know it was no I didn't know it was clinical research I just didn't okay. know how much what was involved in it I just I knew see. the clinical aspect so and why did they want you like because you had like your friends were there and they they recommended you or uh no they just told me about it but uh everybody knows me in that clinic like I worked my butt off and I my my I was efficient and my my work was quality so when it came to like medical records, you know, updating the patients. Oh, so chart. you were there before. That's yes, the same place you resigned from and then you applied again. Yes, at that same facility. I, I didn't even know you, that they I had research you. at that same facility. So I got you. That um, makes sense. So they yeah, already I, knew who you were and yes. they're like, yeah, the Karina definitely can work. <laughs> yeah, my work ethic. They know my work ethic. So okay. I was. I'm, try- you know, I'm trying to help another MA out there who's watching. It's like, well, how did she do it? Like, you know, what made her so special? So maybe how, like, can you answer that question? Like, how could they do it? Knowing what you know now, let's say an MA is out there. Maybe they're working at a large clinic that doesn't do research, right? Like, yeah. how can they get into research? Uh, the, what I believe is because I just put myself out there. I was always the first one to help out, even if I was, you know, um, packed with work myself if I had a little time in between I was always like proactive like hey I can do this if I don't know how to do it tell me you know exactly a what uh, abc like what do I need to do and I'll do my best if I have a question I'll just go to you but just it was just being proactive and you know good work ethic and they saw that my work was quality so um yeah so that's how I it kind of fell into my lap at that point mm-hmm. and then after my manager left um I noticed that he started getting really busy too. So a lot of this other, um, you know, business aspect of the research, I kind of had to, you know, learn on my own, you know, some of the parts. Um, But again, with with help with communication and whatnot. So So you basically learn like your day one, they're working with your manager. You know, I'm assuming they gave you good clinical practice training to do. Yes, uh, I had to go to to, uh, city um uh the city website and I had to get my certificate for human subject research and good clinical practice research. But and let's then be honest, I, I that doesn't a... help you learn anything really about the actual industry. It's just kind of tells you, okay, you gotta respect patients, patient safety first, informed consent. But it doesn't tell you like practical things like, hey Karina, we have a screening tomorrow. Like that GCP oh, is no. not going to help you with that. <laughs> no, whatever you learn is completely different than when you're doing it on hand, uh, hands-on. Like even medical assistant, like my school, yeah, I did everything that they taught us, but there was like so much more to it when you're actually doing it. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I believe, you know, you, you learn the job more when you're doing it hands-on as opposed to just reading about it. So did your manager um, like just throw you in there and say, Hey, here's a patient, patient's coming in tomorrow. You're on your own, or were you like shadowing somebody until you got the hang of it? Uh, I was shadowing the other MA who was in it. Like I said, we were just a, a small group. It was the the research manager, the PI, and the two research assistants, just me and the other guy. So I shadowed him. Um, 
first and foremost, I took the, the training, uh, the, the city training. Then I did the shadowing. And then we had to get to the point where uh, we had to create source documents. So, mm. so you guys were the, using paper source? Yeah. So we kind of, we really had to read because there was one of the studies, I believe it was called dynamic. So there, it was finding a new class of medication. So they kind of contradicted each other, what they had on the website to how you should do the study visit, as opposed to the paperwork that they gave you was kind of contradicting. So we went by, you know, the book. And then when the site monitor came, they were like, well, why did he do it this way? We're like, well, this is how we showed us in this part. She's like, no, you need to do it on how we have it on the website. So on the we, EDC, you know, the EDC. Uh, the, uh, not the EDC. It was, um, I don't like know, IRT it wasn't their EDC. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. so it was basically showing us, you know, they also had their own, each study had their own, you know, videos and questions and tests that they did to make sure that you understand that's what you need to do for that study. So, um, so yeah, that's like I said, that's why you have to communicate with them because you could be doing something that you think is one way, but there's another source that's teaching you a different way. And then you're doing it one way and it doesn't come out right. And then the site monitor is like, you know, what's going on? And I then think this topic like, needs to be discussed more. That's like why I wanted to have you on because you, I mean, you did it so quickly, but you're like a perfect example of somebody who like you can go from MA and you could advance very quickly. My first employee at Yuma Clinical Trials is a CNA. Her name is Desiree and she's amazing. She's similar personality to you. Like, you seem like a self-starter, you know, like somebody, somebody tells you once and then you figure out like, okay, this is how I'm going to do. And Desiree, she shadowed me for three months and now she does patient visits on her own. She solves problems on her own queries, deviation, all that, you know, everything coordinator does data clarification forums, all that stuff talks to patients. Would you say three months is about a fair time for a, research naive MA or CNA to kind of get the hang of being a coordinator? I would say so. Cause I think I caught on a lot more quickly because I was already a CNA for two years at that point. So I already knew what to do in the clinical aspect. I just needed to know the order of assessments and then um, exactly what they were, what they wanted. Um, so what about it, meds, it, like con meds, you know, like when you read that inclusion yes. criteria, you did you have to like google a lot to figure out okay is this med like part of what their protocol says like a lot of that stuff oh we actually went by uh uh for one of the studies and i also use it for other studies too the beers criteria so they would show like certain class of medications and you know what family if they're benzodiazepines or psych meds or heart meds you know that i was able to break it down easier i was also more familiar I was really familiar with a lot of medications, um, especially HIV. Like I said, we specialize in HIV. So most of our patients, you know, were uh, involved HIV medications and of course, diabetes and whatnot. Um, and yeah, so I was pretty familiar with the medications, just some of the medications, you know, you learn more. It's Medical is always uh, an evolving thing. So you're always learning about new things. Um, so from so, CRC, yeah. then... Your manager left because he got a job with Sineos. So that opened up an opportunity for you to take I was on actually, more? No, I was actually looking for a job. So uh, even to make things more stressful, not only did my uh, manager resign, two weeks later, the PI resigned. Wow. So we weren't even sure if we <laughs> were going to, yeah, we weren't even, because my manager, you know, he he did all of her work for her, you know, and, yeah. you know, her, the business aspect for her. So she just dealt with the patients and she was also doing a lot of things. She, she's very high, you know, in the medical field. She does like, she publishes, you know, she's um, a key opinion leader sounds like. Yeah. And, um, she actually, uh, was a spokesperson for, uh, the inject, uh, um, Cabanuva. She was okay. one of the spokespersons for that. So, um so but yeah she so resigned she just because it wasn't because she couldn't handle all the work on her oh, own I like I said my manager he he was in research for 15 years he conducted over 250 uh you know studies wow. throughout his his you know his career so he you know I don't blame him I'm like so you're, brand new. you're yeah. brand new in this new role 
you're finally starting to learn it. You like it. Your manager resigns, your PI resigns. So what do you do next? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that's where things got a lot more challenging. So I just had to apply what I learned, what I have been learning with my bachelor's and, you know, try to apply it to what I've learned in research, even though they're, they're a lot different, I can still apply some of what I've learned there. And then um, the other MA, he knew the ins and outs of most of the studies. So he helped me a lot, you know, on that, the clinical aspect of it. And then um, because they had both resigned, uh, the leadership there was like, oh, we're going to shut down the clinic. So at this point, you guys are overstaffed. So we need to let one of you go, which I'm the newest one. The other guy has been there for two years. So I already know like they're going to let me go. So I was already looking for another job. A lot of I've had interviews and I think I kind of botched those interviews because I couldn't answer that. I was still very new. So I didn't know how to answer some of the questions. So I did a lot more research, watch more of your videos, watch, you know, um, some other research videos that were very helpful. I like your videos because they were a little more detailed, um, specific to what I was looking for. And um, and let's see, there's a lot to the story. So excuse me if I'm kind of like all over the place. Well, this shows you like, do you think, let me ask you a question for other MAs watching. Um, or even clinics, you know, there's two people going to watch this video, MAs or CNAs or other research clinic owners like doctors that are considering hiring their MA. We always tell our new our new physician clients that want to start research in their private practice because the, the issue always comes up of staffing. And I always tell them, look no further than who's already in your office. Like, I'm guessing you have a bunch of MAs or CNAs there. Pick the one or two that you think have the most potential, like self-starter, learns quickly, willing to do a lot, like outside the box, like you. Essentially, they need to find their Karina's <laughs> in the yeah. office. So they're watching too, and they're probably thinking, okay, like, how do I do this? So in your case, like, how did you, because MAs in my office, when I talk to them, and I explain research, they say, well, how do you guys only see like two patients a day? How do you, that sounds boring. They don't realize that it's like four hours of paperwork for every hour that patients Not there. even that. It's the recruitment takes the most time. Recruit, you're right. You're right. Yes. The recruitment takes the most time because So do you most think this our... is good though for like every MA? Because some of the MAs in my office are like, ah, that sounds boring. We like just seeing patients every five minutes and that's they it. need they need to do their research on research any kind of job that you're interested in you really have to do a thorough investigation and if it's for you even regulatory uh when i you know i just thought about regulatory but then i looked more into it the work-life balance you know how does it change as you move up in you know in position um you know because i have you know three kids two of them are still young enough to where they do need me um, so I can't be working crazy hours. And um, so they, they really need to look into research and see if it, if they like it and see everything that comes with it, because they may start it and then they hate it. Um, the, after I left, the girl who took over, she, she can handle the work. I hear that she's smart. And she was able to handle the work, but she hates it. I think she just hates it because of there. I, my experience was stressful after my manager left because he kind of backed everybody up you know, back everybody off because they were making it like, uh, oh my God, it was just such a mess. You know, the the other, we have sub investigators, but they were so overwhelmed with their primary care patients. It was hard for them to make time for the, you know, the study patients. So trying to keep everybody in window and, you know, finding somebody to see them, you know, the PI was wow. only working part-time. So it was, <laughs> leadership made it hard. So it was really hard to do research. We got it done. We made it work. We, there's a lot of accommodation, a lot of communication with the CRAs and the site monitors and everything. It was, it was so see. stressful. Because what's um, the normal, let's say, let's say it's not clinical research involved. Okay. Like just comparing traditional healthcare to clinical research, same person an MA. Okay. Let's say there's no research. So what's the career trajectory for a typical MA? You go from MA to like maybe lead medical assistant at your large practice to what? Like what's the career ladder? Because we can compare it to the career ladder in research. And I have a feeling there's like more opportunity in research, but what's typical career trajectory for an MA? 
Um, it's kind of hard to say, um, because you're you're used to doing that one thing, and unless you have a degree, you really can't move up too much. You know what I mean? Maybe again a lead CRA, or you can be the one training. But again, at the facility where I was at, they weren't very. You had a lot of opportunities to be in different departments, but that's because they didn't pay you very much, and they made you work. Like they mm-hmm. cracked the whip on you, so. Um, it was easy to get experience in other areas there, but you know, from the medical system, unfortunately, I think you would have to either get into research to move up, or um, or you know, get a degree. I have a a, a cousin; she's been a, a CRC for eight years. She started off getting paid only twelve dollars an hour. Now she gets paid thirty dollars an hour, but she's been in it for eight years now. You know, um, and she's only she only has her uh, MA. Yeah, she doesn't have a degree or anything, so. But she um, knows the ins and outs of coordinating, like yes, no other. You, so from yes. there, you can go site director. You know, there's even cases of MAs. If you've been a coordinator long enough with no degree, no bachelor's, mm-hmm. they're CRAs too. Like there's yeah. no rules in FDA that says you must have a bachelor's. It's bachelor education, sufficient education or experience. Yeah. So they really leave it up to the sponsors to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Cause I, when I looked at different jobs, I also noticed that too. They were like, even, um, so, so after, after a while I stopped looking for jobs cause I was like, well, I'll just stay here until they let me go. And then, you know, <laughs> if I have to go collect unemployment, then that's what I have to do, but I was still looking. So, um, after so many attempts and then a few interviews, and I know I botched like some of the questions, so I kind of just gave up. And then a research organization reached out to me through Indeed, and they were like, "Hey, we like your, you know, experience. Uh, we want you to apply." And I've only been in research six months at that point, um, so I signed up. It, it happened so fast too. I had my interview with them. Uh, I spoke with the recruiter on Wednesday. She set me up with the interview for Friday. And then that same Friday, they called me back and, you know, they gave me an offer, which, you know, um, with a little bit of experience that I had, you know, the amount that I asked for, they were like, okay, they gave me a little bit more. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, okay. So, um, and yeah, I've been with them for six months before um, a, a third party recruiter for Amgen reached out to me and I'm just like, what gave you the confidence to ask for more? Like most people would have been like, you know what? I'm just happy to have this role. Like what gave you the confidence to ask? Oh, because this role uh, specifically was patient recruitment. So I already, uh, that was the thing I probably did the most consistent, you know, at the small facility was patient recruitment. Um, you know, if I wasn't conducting a study visit, I was, you know, communicating with patients all day to talk about, you know, whatever study that they may be interested in and, you know, we do like a pre-screening through the chart because all the research patients we had were actually uh, um, primary care patients in the facility. So it was easy to, you know, for the medical records and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so I asked them, you know, I threw out an offer and they were like, okay, we want to give you this much. So they gave me, you know, a few thousand more than what I asked for. And um, wow. yeah, and then I was doing that for a while. It was it's such a good company too such an awesome work-life balance it was from nine to five and what was the role again recruitment uh uh, patient recruitment yeah specialist um and so yeah so they have their expectations it was a little slow at first because they only had a few studies recruiting at that time but uh then they had the pfizer Lyme disease study starting up and that one like kept us really busy so um this is where I use my problem solving skills to help, you know, my team, because we were broken up into different regions, the East Coast, Central, and, you know, West region. And then those regions are broken up into two teams. Um, so we recruited, you know, for the different studies. Um, and their expectation for us, if we, were, if we were speaking with patients, they wanted us to call at least 35 patients a day. If... Um, if we weren't speaking to any patients, then we would have the expectation of at least 50, you know, phone calls a day, which I was able to meet mine. If they, if they provided that amount of, you know, referrals to me, then I would make those calls. Um, It was also to a point where they wanted us to go through a script and some people on our team was complaining like, Hey, like, we don't know if we're going to be able to keep up with that. So I created a template 
kind of like, uh, you know, cut and paste and uh, cater it to what I'm used to talking to with these patients. So I was like, hey, I created this template. I shared it with my team. And then we were just knocking out the calls. What are the typical, now that you've talked to so many patients um, or potential patients for studies, what are their main questions? Like, do you have to educate them all on what research is? Or is it more about the the therapy being tested? What's like some of the most common pushbacks you get or questions? Um, a lot of them ask about the potential side effects and um, also the, the time of the study, like how long they have to participate. Because, you know, depending on what study it was, you know, the, the, the older uh, patients, you know, a lot of them are retired. They want to travel, you know, so they can't, they really can't commit to the study. So they would ask questions like that. If it's two, three years, they're like, oh no, we're going to be out of the country, you know, for three months at a time. And we're just like, okay, well, would you like for us to reach out to you for any future studies? Um, So yeah, so a lot of it was time um, and a lot of it was side effects. Mm -hmm. And and another question they asked a lot too, they asked if, if placebos were involved. So I got a lot of questions on that. So was anyone hesitant that it well it's research i don't want to be a guinea pig do you get that a lot um so from reading so from my bachelor's looking at healthcare law i see all where a lot of research went wrong and why people especially people of color are hesitant to you know participate because research hasn't been the most you know beneficial to you know those people yeah. so there was more you know caucasian signing up whenever i spoke to a patient um who was hispanic or a patient who was of african-american descent you know i would start asking a personal information and they would just hang up they're like i think they just got uncomfortable really? and they didn't want to give too much information yeah uh, like the Tuskegee, you know study yep. that was you know so no question um, then no question hispanics and african-americans are more skeptical yes Yes, I and I think also yeah, it doesn't help that you're Hispanic, like to have that rapport on the phone, or did it make it didn't make a difference? Oh uh, no, I think it was more of of the just the study itself. Um, and then even at that, it goes a little deeper. Uh, even like regular healthcare, Hispanic people really tend not to go to the doctor yeah, even for regular like checkups. Yeah. I mean. You know, they they don't go to the doctor unless something's already wrong, you know, but I try to, you know, let them know like, hey, like this is preventative before something goes wrong, you know, it's, it's best to check on this and take care of it now. That's what I learned as a medical assistant doing regular primary care. Um, but yeah, there's just so many, so many different aspects. Some people already knew what research was. There was patients I had that they were in the medical field and they worked in research. So they were just easy to work with. You know, they're like, yeah, sign me up. You know, what's it going to take? What do I need to do? How far do I need to travel? you know, what are the times available? So they were really easy. It's the ones that, you know, were skeptical and they ask a bunch of questions and then you spend 20, 30 minutes on the phone with them and they're like, no, I don't want to do it. (laughs) That happens a lot. That happens a lot. What about, so how, so MA coordinator patient recruitment at another company, like on a large scale, it seems like, and then regulatory affairs, how does that come into the picture? So I, uh, oh, like I mentioned earlier, I had a third party um, reach out to me. They were recruiting for Amgen. So this was actually, uh, uh, I'm going to be starting with Amgen on Monday. Um, It is an entry level position and it's a contract. Congratulations. Thank you. So that's this, I actually lost sleep over this, you know, this offer because I really liked the company I was working at and, you know, they paid me well. Uh, the work-life balance was awesome. You know, my coworkers are great. If I needed questions or if I had help, you know, you know, that, you know, the people I worked with were awesome. And, and it was really sad for me because when I had put in my resignation, my manager was like, I am so disappointed. And I thought he was upset with me, but he was just like, no, like, I'm sad. You're like, he, I know they wanted to offer me their money, but I explained to them, I'm like, look, like, although I really like this job, you know, and I, and I love everything about, it. I think you guys are great. The communication's great. I, I, I did exactly what was expected, you know, um, you know, I just love the company. So I know they wanted to offer me more money, but I had explained to them, I'm like, look, like, you know, regulatory, as you know, is a hard industry to get into. And, Absolutely. um, 
and and I explained to him like, look, like I'm not leaving for a better opportunity or better money. It's actually I'm just gaining the experience and um, you know, I'm taking a risk because it's it's just a contract job and I'm taking a little bit of a pay cut. So, you know, you couldn't offer me more money, <laughs> you know, and then my supervisor came back from her vacation. She was like, what can we do to keep you? And I'm like, <sighs> They you try know, to but, keep the good ones. That's the problem. Yeah, the good ones, yeah. The good because, ones get recruited. And uh, did you get recruited through LinkedIn or was it Indeed that LinkedIn, you said? Uh, so I got recruited for the uh, patient recruitment through Indeed. And okay. then for the Amgen uh, through LinkedIn. So, so by the way, Karina's LinkedIn is underneath this video. Um, recruiters love getting after the guests that come. On the podcast, <laughs> but why did you move to regulatory affair? A lot of people might be watching and say you're crazy. Less pay after all that, all that, um, you know, chaos that you just. It seems like you're finally getting stable. Why? I mean, I think I know why the answer. I think it's the right move too. By the way, but why? I want to hear from you. Like why? So this may be a little bit off topic. So ever since I was a kid, I always saw myself being a businesswoman. I never wanted to be a nurse. I never wanted to be a medical assistant. I never wanted to get into the medical field at all. Um, but after just a series of events happened in my life and- uh, I like you, Karina. It <laughs> <laughs> just, good. you know, um, and, you know, after having my associates for 10 years, like I, I already knew I wasn't going to get a job anywhere. I couldn't get a job as an accountant, not the secretary, not even an entry level there. So I went to school for medical assistant. They gave me the internship for my first job where I got hired. And um, I still wanted to continue business. But since I was already in the medical field, I'm like, oh, why don't I go into healthcare business? So healthcare management. Um, uh, finding a school was a whole nother battle because accreditation from my associates it was hard I couldn't transfer to other school that's a whole nother can of worms so we'll, we won't talk about that that's another podcast um, yeah so um finally one of the schools it was a sister company to the first college I went to so they my credits transferred over right you know you know smoothly uh so I started my healthcare my bachelor's of healthcare management and then um so while I was doing my health uh bachelor's I was still doing the research so in combination of my research experience and earning my bachelor's this job hired the patient recruitment hired me with the expectation that I was going to earn my degree um and um yes yeah, so, so I, I'm still in business in they were mm -hmm. investing in you basically for your not only what you did up until that point you were like an easy investment for them because you did patient recruitment already but you were, they were able to get you like under market value because you didn't ha have your degree, but they knew that you would, and then they could probably promote you to other things. But you were like, you know what? I found this job in regulatory. I want to get into that. I think it's smart. The reason I think it's smart is you're becoming a generalist. So you're not just like honing in on one skill set. You're developing a repertoire of different skill sets all related to research. That makes you like the more of those skills you can attain, the state, the more job security you have and the more opportunities you're going to get to. Like you can always go back to being coordinator now. Yeah, but I think, like I said, I never wanted to be a nurse. And even though I did medical assisting and I and I did enjoy it while I was there, I was already in my mind like, yeah, I, I'm not going to stay doing this. Like, I don't want to keep doing clinicals. I'm over these patients. You know, even the patient recruitment, I liked it. I, I just don't like dealing with people sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. I don't like dealing with headache patients. So I, even at that, I'm like, I kind of want to get away with dealing with people in that aspect. So I still wanted to stick to more of the business aspect. I'm in a completely different place than what I, I thought I would be. I would, I saw myself being like a manager of medical records or, um, you know, director of the facility eventually in my life. But now that I'm in research, I see myself in a completely different area. So what do I, you see like in research now? Like what's, what's the goal? What's the five-year plan for you, for Karina? Uh, so I would like to eventually go up to um, re a regulatory management. Um, so I, I know obviously the pay is good and I'm looking at, you know, as my children get older, they're not going to need me run as much. And I know regulatory, sometimes you work crazy hours. Uh, the work-life balance is, is unpredictable. Um, so, you know, eventually the next five years, eventually move up to management. 
director. I looked into it. A lot of people say like, uh, once you get into the director position, it's it's high stress and you, you're like going to be losing your hair at that point. I'm just like, I don't think yeah. I want to do that yet. So I probably but you won't mean do like that regulatory until... affairs, like helping sponsors decide, hey, this is like the studies you want to do. Like this is the pathway yes. you need to take. Okay. Yeah. So basically, be, like being the middleman for between the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies. So that's good money. Very good money. In that yeah. <laughs> and it's a little affairs. bit intimidating, too, because, yeah. you know, I always separated research and medical as one is more medical than one is more scientific. So I am more, you know, I know more about the medical part and I am not a scientist. So I'm a little nervous about understanding the scientific aspect of how these studies are conducted um you know uh, uh the manufacturing pro- that the learning about the manufacturing process of the medication is mm-hmm. going to be completely new for me too gmp so, yeah you're going to go from gcp to gmp then you got to learn the different pathways the 510ks the biologics the yeah. pro drug pathway um there's a lot and honestly like you can spend the rest of your life in that niche and never learn it all because things change like biologics come out you know it's evolving yeah gene Always therapy evolving. genetic crispr is coming out so wow i could i could see uh why you chose that route and it's huge the entire industry supply shortage but regulatory affairs yeah find these people and like really once you get like 10 years into it you can go independent consultant route like have your own small practice where you're doing this i i i two years ago i was looking for a regulatory affairs consultant they charge a lot of money yeah yeah i i, I was uh yeah looking into the regulatory you know you know um you know jobs and positions and you know job requirements and everything i wow. you know i made sure i knew what i was getting myself into because there's nothing worse worse than you know i, I don't like when people apply for a job just because it's higher pay if you're not passionate about it you're not going to perform well you're going to make yourself look bad and it's just it's it's not a good look um wow monday you gotta update your linkedin so i am your thing's gonna be up this weekend and people are gonna be reaching out networking is the next phase for you yeah i i do uh i try to network i try to connect with as many people as i can um and Yeah, it's just been, um, it's been a wild, it's been a crazy year for me in research. You know, uh, even though I'm sad <laughs> about this company, they told me like, hey, if it doesn't work out, you know, you are a top performer, you can come back whenever you want. So I'm like, oh, awesome. So after this contract, mm-hmm. if maybe if I don't perform well, or for whatever reason, they let me go, or, you know, it doesn't get extended. Um, you know, I could always go back to my old job. This role you just got, the what is it, the official title again? The- uh, uh regulatory associate okay this regulatory associate do you think if you didn't get your bachelor's degree but everything else would have been the same they would have given you the job no no because um so when they when i when i spoke to the recruiter they're asking me what's my expected pay Uh, Because again, it was an entry level where they're looking for people who just graduated, uh, who just completed their bachelor's. And uh, they actually wanted to pay me, uh, you know, a lot less than what I was expecting. And I was like, hey, like, as much as I want this job, I can't afford to take this much of a pay cut. So they kind of met me halfway. Um, So they obviously needed somebody and they interviewed me, they liked me. So they, you know, they negotiated my pay and I was able, I only took, um, you know, it's just a small pay cut. Uh, not much of a difference. Congrats! Um, it won't last long. You'll <laughs> yeah. That, so that like, niche that you're in, you'll I predict six months or whenever your contract is up, when they renew it, it's a different story. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. So you know, even they if they don't renew it, somebody else will take you on at that point because yeah, it's for just sure. experience. Yeah, and yeah, so getting that offer changed a lot of things for me. I'm missing out because this company that I that I just left. Uh, they actually had a winter shutdown. So you had from December 23rd to January uh, 2nd, you know, paid time off. Like you don't, wow. there's no work. So I, I missed that on that, but you know, I'm missing <laughs> out on a lot of perks from this company that I left, but you know, I'm just like, man, like you don't get this opportunity. They already uh-huh. came to me once before and I already declined them, but they came to me again. And I'm just like, it's a sign. 
So, so why'd you decline them the first time? It's just you didn't feel like making more like chaos, like chaotic move. I wasn't. So I wasn't sure because I, because I was with this company for only six months, oh. you know, and I felt like, oh, that doesn't really look good on my resume. You know, I, I really like the company. There was a lot of things that made me decline it the first time. Yeah. But then they came at me the second. And I already had an interest in regulatory. And before they came to me the second time, I was like, well, maybe I'll just get my experience here and then I'll see if I can get into regulatory later on. But then there's also this fear that I have, and I, I don't think this company would have done that, but of course, it's always a risk. Being their t- top performer, I'm also afraid of if I want to move up, they won't allow me to move up because I pull in patients. Now, that's, that, was my also, that was also my fear, like being held in that same spot. I didn't want to be stuck. So it's just a lot of that's what I mean like I lost sleep over this a lot of things were going through my mind was it a right move I don't even know if I'm gonna like regulatory I told this to my manager yeah. and my supervisor <laughs> like I'm taking the risk here so you are like I'm probably gonna hate it six months from now but you know if I don't <laughs> take these risks you know you'll never know I don't know where it can take me you know five years ten years down the line so interesting. um the industry needs more people like you Karina this was an amazing story I think it's the right move. And first of all, who cares what I think? Second of all, I think it's the right move. And if it's not, you can always go back to what you were doing. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the good thing about, you know, uh, your work ethic, you know, if the people like you, then, you know, they'll welcome you back. So I already have my supervisor's personal information. Like I've already texted her, you know, we communicate from time to time. So because they, they really like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, on top of doing, you know, being efficient with my work, I had to pick up a lot of other people's slack. There was patients who were being called, demographics weren't collected, the pre-screeners weren't, um, mm-hmm. They didn't have the templates installed into the software. So we actually had to copy and paste and I had to kind of tailor it to where it's easy for the coordinator to read. So I had to solve these problems myself. So when you remind me of a archetype like Desiree's in this archetype, too, there's people who do their jobs just to do it. And then there's people who do more than what they're asked or what they're paid to do just because and i can't find out why that just because is like why do you uh, do more for me because the experience is invaluable whenever i start into something that i'm interested in i want to learn everything like even so as it's a just medical a personal assistant. thing for you yeah it was a, you have to you have to want it um when i had left the the small clinical site we, i was trying to help you know, them look for a replacement for me. So all the other medical assistants, they asked, you know, what, what is involved? And they were like, oh, well, that's too much. I'm not interested in that. But I'm like, there's good opportunities for this. You know, don't expect to move up just doing, you know, rooming patients if that's all you're doing. You're, you know, yeah. you're not doing referrals or anything like that. So um, that was a little bit challenging because, you know, <laughs> there was a post that you posted. I don't know if it was, one of one of the social medias where you know the difference between um the medical field and research is your medical field you're overworked and underpaid and research you're overworked but well paid and i'm like that is so true i'm working just as hard as i've been working but i'm getting paid better so i'm trying to reach the tiktok it's so yeah wow (laughs) i'm so glad i interviewed you we definitely have to keep following up um and I think if you want to start networking more, you know, we have, it's open to any, anyone, all ethnicities, but obviously you're Latina. We have Latinos in clinical research that you're welcome to come to our monthly Zoom meetups and network with people. And maybe we'll even have you present one of these days because your story is amazing. Oh, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, because like I said, I've only been in research 14 months and You've done it's, it's, more it's been than crazy. Most it's been crazy. Do in five years. In yeah. Fourteen months. Yeah, but you you have to want you have to be proactive. You have to go get it. You have to ask these questions. You have to make yourself be like, hey, I, I want this. You know, let me know. And if they see that you know you're competent and you're you know you're willing, then they're they're gonna they're gonna pick you up. They're not gonna miss out on the chance of you. You know to yeah, someone you like know, get you, experience someone like you doesn't come around that often so definitely they 
whoever got you is lucky. <laughs> Amgen, it seems like they're next. So Karina, it's amazing. Everybody go connect with Karina. Her link to her LinkedIn is underneath this video, or if you're listening on the podcast, thank you in the show notes. I know a lot of you new people from TikTok, a lot of MAs and CNAs going to be watching, listening to this one. So go connect with Karina. Forget about hearing it from me. Hear it from someone who actually did what I'm saying. She's a medical assistant, now doing regulatory affairs. Yeah, she had to get her bachelor's, but that doesn't mean if you don't have a bachelor's and don't have plans to get your bachelor's that you can't also um elevate your career in research it may not be regulatory but there's a lot of opportunities here so thank you so much karina any last words of encouragement maybe for other mas or cnas trying to get their break in this industry um really work on your resumes work on your resumes whatever you learned in research that you have learned you know put that apply that to your resume um, even if it's just medical assistant, you know, make sure you put in detail your transferable skills and what your capabilities are. Um, another thing with resumes is do your bio. Tell them what you want, what you're looking for, and, you know, that, that'll catch their attention. That's such good advice, transferable skills and that bio. Please, guys, stop putting cliches in your bio. Like, I know I just said you were self-starter and all that. But don't put that in your bio. Everybody knows, of course, you're going to present yourself. What you want to put is like practical things you've been doing. Like if yes. it's patient recruitment, if it's creating source, if it's like things like that, where somebody's going to know, okay, this is something real. It's not just a great team member. You know, like yeah. those are cliches. Yes. Actually, if you guys look at my uh, resume on my LinkedIn, I'm very specific on. I see it. What the yeah. heck? Yeah. This is the. Yeah, patient recruitment specialist for clinical trials with previous experience as a clinical research assistant, conducting multiple studies in oncology and infectious diseases, looking to be more involved in regulatory affairs. Now you're going to change it. Yeah, this is amazing, Karina. You've got you've got yourself like the next five years mapped out. Um, can't wait to do a part two. Can't wait to get you on Latinos in clinical research to discuss more and network with other people. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to future uh, podcasts. That's right. Everybody, go connect with Karina right now. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Catch you all later. Bye-bye. Bye.